Well, every family has values or things that are really important to that family as a whole. The choices we make, uh, the things that we buy, the activities that we invest our time in all reflect our values. So to say that we have values is to say that we hold certain principles, certain beliefs to be important in our lives. So what are the values of your family? If you were to give kind of some of the top ones. I asked my kids what is most important to my family. That's kind of a dangerous thing, and I knew, okay, I'm just going to ask to see what comes out. And, and I tried to do it in a way that didn't lead them to say what it is I wanted them to say. So I tried to leave it kind of open, but yet tell them, uh, uh, what, you know, explain to them what, it, what I'm meaning by it. And Jeremiah said, that we love Jesus. Boom! My son nailed it! That's exactly what we're trying to teach them. Right on, my boy. Maria said that we love God, God the Father, which I just love. God the Father. She's so cute. Hi, Maria. Um, Right on. The princess of truth from the mouth of babes. Now, then there was Peter. Uh, Perhaps Peter misunderstood the question. He said, koi, which means car. Uh, and he held up his matchbox. So apparently our family is, a, is about cars uh, or matchboxes or toys or something. Well, the same is true with churches. Every church has values that they consider really, really important to the life and vitality of the church. And whether they write them down or not, they are powerful because those values influence the direction of the church. The healthiest and most vibrant churches are the ones that allow truth to determine their values. The most unhealthy and dangerous churches are the ones that value trend or tradition more than truth. What I think you'll see reflected in our core values is a very high regard for the scriptures, the Bible, and a practicality and focus on what will help us best advance our mission What we value will influence our family here. So we need to focus on what is most important. Jerusalem Church values nurturing family. Nurturing family. We are a family, and we're supposed to support one another. We are a family. We want to be a nurturing family. If you trust and treasure Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then God is your father, Christ is your brother, and you have a whole lot of other really sweet and awesome brothers and sisters who follow Christ. But to all who did receive Jesus, John wrote, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born of God. We are a family because we have received and believe in Jesus. God lovingly gave us life and made us his children. And John says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. John said in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He said, whoever loves God must also love his brother, so loving your spiritual brothers and sisters marks you as part of the family of God. Healthy families are loving families. The Bible teaches that unbelievers are not children in God's family. They are outsiders. 
So do we then ostracize them or ignore them or exclude them from what we're trying to do? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. An unbeliever is like a close family friend. I'm sure you all have like honorary members of your family in a sense. They're, they're not part of the family, but they're on vacation sometimes and they hang out at the house sometimes. They're close family friends. They're not a child, but still able to experience limited benefits of being around a loving family. But the full, enjoyable, significant benefits are only for the kids. Only the children get the particular intimate love of the father and each other. Only the children are guaranteed the inheritance. Unbelievers are invited by the father himself to enjoy the full benefits of adoption into the family of God. God invites them through the gospel call to receive Jesus Christ by faith, to trust in Him alone for salvation and to become an adopted child of God. That's what the gospel is calling to unbelievers. Come, be part of us. Believers are a nurturing family. This core value also means we want to nurture families. Slightly different. We want to care for moms and dads. We want to care for children. We want to care even for grandparents. We love families at Jerusalem Church, and we want every family to be happy and healthy and whole, functioning as God is calling them to function. Families need encouragement. They need support, both families inside and outside the church. There are families all around us, even families in our midst, that are fragile and broken, and we want to see God's truth and grace restore stability And joy to these homes. I hope you can see the value in nurturing families. That that's something that is important to you. The family is the building block of society and culture. We should be paying attention to this. We are a family and we want to help families grow healthy and happy in God. And we must do this well. Jerusalem Church values simple excellence. Simple excellence. Now, don't misunderstand what this means. The core value is excellence, not perfection. Not perfection. There is a huge difference. So what is meant by excellence? Most importantly, it means that you have an excellent heart. An excellent heart. A heart that adores Christ. With an excellent, or without rather, without an excellent heart, everything that follows isn't really excellent. No matter how it comes across. An excellent heart is a heart determined to glorify God. God says in his word, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Heartily is a really interesting Greek word. It's psukase, psukase, which one Greek dictionary defines as inner life, mind, thoughts, feelings, heart, being. Your being. Paul is saying that everything you do should be to devote your entire being. All of you is poured into what you are doing for the Lord. True excellence starts with an excellent heart. Then it gets a little trickier. But what about practical excellence in matters of skill and ability? 
Does the Bible talk about that kind of excellence? And I think that you'll be intrigued by the answer. This, this is interesting to me. A little background first. In Exodus, God laid out a blueprint for building the tabernacle, a place for him to dwell among his people and to be with them. And very specific instructions. And the people joyfully funded the project. They actually gave the materials to make this tabernacle. And, uh, and then God assembled the construction team to get the work done, which I, I worked in construction. If you ever have, it's, it's a great thing to work together to build this, this thing. And so God put together the team. Watch how God begins the project. Exodus 31, 1 through 6. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability, and they may make all that I have commanded you. God called Bezalel, and God equipped Bezalel for the task. He filled him with the Holy Spirit. He gave him ability, gave him intelligence, gave him knowledge, and gave him craftsmanship. God also gave Bezalel a qualified foreman, Aholiab, and he gave him a skilled work crew to get the work done. At least 26 times in the book of Exodus, skill in some form of the word is used. As mentioned, excellence was important, is important to God. Later in Exodus 36 too, it says, And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. Did you hear that? Skill and heart. There was a stirring, but there also was skill to get the job done. So here's the principle and how it applies to our church. God calls each of us to contribute to ministry in some way. We all are called to contribute. And when God calls you, he gives you the skill to match the calling. What God calls you to, he equips you for and desires you to give your very best and to constantly improve for his glory. Excellence does matter. Brainstorming, planning, strategizing, evaluating, improving are all important to God. Now, we will absolutely never be perfect. Until Jesus comes back and we're with him for glory, we will not be perfect. Uh, But we can strive for perfection. We should run for perfection in the shoes of God's grace. One of the things that contributes to a wonderful and healthy marriage is the determination to have an excellent marriage. You have to be determined to never settle for just average. Well, this is the way it has to be. But to strive and strive and work towards deeper intimacy and deeper connection, giving your very best every day. That's a recipe for a good marriage. Not perfection, but a striving together. Isn't it true that maintenance mode kills joy and intimacy in marriage? 
We're just going to maintain. This is just the way it has to be. So let's just hit cruise control and go. Don't ever settle for that. That'll destroy a marriage. And it's true in the church too. Sometimes we bomb. We don't get it right. I've been there many times already in this short time. I'm going to bomb a sermon here and there where you're like, he wasn't talking to me this morning. I don't know what he said. The real question is, is it acceptable if I bomb a hundred consecutive sermons? Now, you may love me, but we'd all agree that excellence matters and something must change if I'm bombing a hundred in a row. We want to be a church with high but gracious expectations. The same thing that I want for my kids as they look for a spouse. Really high expectations, but gracious expectations. We want to help people know their gifts, develop their gifts, and use their gifts where God has called them to be. Little regard for excellence can greatly impact a church's growth. Deep beneath true excellence is a well of love for God and grace-driven determination to excel. I want you to take a look at a short film clip from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's a clip that I believe parallels pretty well. It's a short clip. Uh, What happens in churches all the time? They dismiss excellence. We're not going to worry about that too much, okay? We're just going to do as we always have done. They settle, they grow comfortable while the world dismisses them as completely irrelevant. Talk in another language. Ben Stein, he plays this boring high school economics teacher who may be excellent of heart. He may actually you know, be excellent in knowledge, but watch the total disconnect in his classroom because he obviously lacks excellent in skill. Take a look. In 1930, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives, in an effort to alleviate the effects of the, anyone, anyone, the Great Depression, passed the, anyone, anyone, the tariff bill, the Hawley-Smoot Tariff Act, which anyone raised or lowered, raised tariffs in an effort to collect more revenue for the federal government. Did it work? Anyone? Anyone know the effects? It did not work, and the United States sank deeper into the Great Depression. Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone seen this before? The Laffer Curve. Anyone know what this says? It says that at this point on the revenue curve, you will get exactly the same amount of revenue As at this point, this is very controversial. Does anyone know what Vice President Bush called this in 1980? Anyone? Something D-O-O economics. Voodoo economics. All right. Well, that I think can illustrate pretty well how things can just be a disconnect when you don't bring excellence. You completely miss people in a lot of ways. Not perfection, but excellence. Like the moon reflects the light of the sun, our church should always strive to reflect the excellence of God. It's God here. We should want to reflect his excellence and his brilliance. Here are four things to consider 
as we think through this topic of should we really be excellent in skill, just consider these four things. Number one, you should do things that you are gifted for. God is calling you to use your gifts for the glory of God, for Him, for His work. Work to use your strengths for maximum effectiveness. But, number two, sometimes you should not do things that you're gifted for. Sometimes someone else needs an opportunity and needs coaching. I had pastors who gave up opportunities for them to preach so that I could preach and use my gifts. And they fed into me and coached me and supported me and encouraged me. Sometimes stepping aside is most helpful because it develops and gives someone else an opportunity to flourish in their uh, gifts. Number three, sometimes you need to do things that you are not gifted for. Sometimes we do things because there's a need in the church. Not because we're particularly skilled or gifted at that thing. God will sometimes call you to do things because the team needs you, not because you are particularly gifted. And number four, sometimes you need to not do things that you are not gifted for. Oftentimes, if you don't have the gifts, it's better not to do something and to focus all of your time and energy on the things God has gifted you to do. And I'll tell you what, sometimes ambition can get in the way. We desire to do that, but we're not gifted for that. We are gifted for this. And so as we focus on trying to to do that out of ambition, we, we miss the opportunity to be most effective over here where God has called us. The principle is this. Having an excellent heart is absolutely hands down most, most important. Yet striving for excellence in skill is also important to God. We should set a high bar for ourselves because God is glorious and the team is important. But we should never grow disheartened because of our mistakes. We are accepted by God not because of perfection, but because of Christ's perfection. We don't have to earn it. It's given freely by Christ. And so let's relax and let's try to use our gifts to the glory of God. Paul told the Corinthians, strive to excel in building up the church. We should strive to excel here. Paul uses the same language in 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Excellence is important to God. Very quickly, you'll see that this core value is simple excellence. Sometimes churches get too complicated with ministry. They try to do too many things at one time, and it ends up lessening the effectiveness of the few things that they should focus on. We want to keep it simple here at Jerusalem. Simple but purposeful. We want to do more with less. Simple and purposeful ministry lends to more freedom and creativity and excellence in that ministry. Paul said to the Corinthians, we behaved in the world with simplicity. And that means or a, um, a single-hearted devotion, razor-sharp devotion headed in one area, to live sim- with simplicity and godly sincerity. So let's keep things simple at Jerusalem so we can remain faithful to one mission. Jerusalem Church values humble transparency. Humility and openness are powerful things 
We must learn to share our lives. We don't want trivial relationships. We want deep, meaningful relationships and friendships. People that we can honestly talk with and say, you know what, things are not going well right now. And I want you to know that. I want you to pray for me. Pride keeps us from sharing openly with others. We try to hide behind pride to hide our problems. But newsflash, the reality is people know you have problems already. What's there to hide? We're all messed up. And if you're having problems finding something about yourself, I'll help you. I'll give you a couple things. All right? We're all in that together. Pride shows fear and weakness. I'm so convinced of this. The people who just can't repent, can't say they're sorry, people who cram down and never get beyond their pride, it shows such fear and weakness in them. But humble transparency shows just the opposite, strength and courage. Strength and courage. Proverbs 15.33 says, humility comes before honor. You can trust the man who is open and truthful with himself and with others. There is great honor in humility. Someone who's just real about who they are, faults and all. Zephaniah 2.3 says that we should seek humility. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Are you wearing humility these days? You wearing that? If you don't want that outfit, please understand God opposes you. He's not on your side. But if you wear humility, he'll give you beautiful grace. It's there. Leave pride in the dressing room. It doesn't fit. Leave it there. When you become a Christian, you admit that you are depraved, that you're a moral failure, that you are dead in sin, and that you are helpless, and that the only way of your escape is someone much stronger than you coming into the picture and saving you by pulling you out of the mess, namely Jesus Christ. You are saying, as a Christian, that you are completely and utterly dependent on God's grace. Being a Christian means Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself, and that's humility. After the lifeguard saves you from drowning, how can you boast about how well you swim? Why does God want you to be humbly transparent? Do you know how Paul answered that question? This is what he said. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Are you the type of person that boasts, that brags in your weakness, in your need for Jesus Christ? Not for sympathy, not for pity, but to magnify God's grace, to give Him glory, to receive power from Christ. Sharing your struggles openly with others is a way to worship God. To show how powerful his grace is in your life. It's drawing attention to the power of grace and how it helped you to heal, how it helped you to be victorious, how it helped you to surge ahead in truth. One dream 
that I have for Jerusalem Church is to mature together to the point of having personal testimonies up here in front of the church of what God's grace is doing in your life. In the worship services, where people can see the power of God's grace, the deep stuff of life, do you have the courage to share your story so that we can all grow from hearing how God's grace is at work in your life? Maybe someday you will. Maybe someday you will be up here giving a testimony, drawing attention to God's glory about what he has pulled you through. That's a dream. I hope we get there. Once again, James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You have to be humble to do that. You have to be transparent to do that. You have to know the reward of opening your life up for other people. And the reward is the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It will work in your life. God will show up. Praying with mature believers about your struggles is a really powerful and helpful thing. Another dream I have for Jerusalem Church is that small groups would thrive here. Groups of people meeting together to study the Bible, share their lives openly, and pray with one another. That's powerful ministry. Christina and I grew just leaps and bounds through our small group in Pittsburgh where we met weekly. We would confess sin openly to each other. We would pray through difficult things that we would walk through. We shared our lives and we walked through deep struggles together and we benefited from it. But you can't benefit from that if you close everybody off. Huge impact on our lives. This is what humble transparency means. I mean, I encourage you to just take small steps to open your life to one or two or three trusted, mature, biblical friends. You don't have to air out your dirty laundry for the masses. You know, grabbing a mic, excuse me, out of the way. I'm airing it all out. Let me start in 1979. I was born in Ephrata and... My parents dropped me on my head or whatever. I don't know. And that's why I am the way that I am. Just a few trusted people and allow them in so you can grow. It's living in Christian community. It's sharing your life with other people. Potlucks and social events only take you so far. We all need deep, meaningful friendships, meaningful conversation about meaningful things. You... It's a challenge, I know. And some of you are like, I don't want to do that, it's scary. And I understand that. Uh, but it's just amazing what happens when, when we open up. You never know how your confession will be used in the life of someone else to open them up and help them to mature. You're leading by example. That's a way to be a leader. Just be transparent. Just be real with people and they will respect that. Probably. <laughs> All right, no guarantees there. If we do that, I think our church will be absolutely magnetic. It will be magnetic because very rarely do people encounter true unconditional love where people speak right where they are, they're loved where they are, and they're helped through where they are. Our culture longs for authenticity. All right, Jerusalem Church values missional living. The word missional is probably new for about 90% 90 of you probably. Missional, no, never. So missional is a really diverse word, so we need to be sure that we define it for Jerusalem Church. We know what we mean by it. Missional living is joining God on his mission. God's mission is to glorify himself 
by drawing and saving people by his grace through faith in his son, liberating them to enjoy relationship with him above all things. In other words, God is graciously seeking and searching the sinner. But missional living is also living for God's mission in the community where he has placed us. Our primary mission field is Penryn and Mannheim and Lidditz and Lancaster County. We want the grace of God and the truth of God to change our community. And I think that this graphic, if Chad will pop that up, um, illustrates what missional living is all about. You see, missionaries are not only sent to China, they're not only sent to Sierra Leone, God sends missionaries as the light of Christ where they work, where they live, where they go to the gym, where they hang out. He sends us as missionaries to where he plants us. Missional living is for Jesus, uh, or living for Jesus as a plumber, or as a carpenter, or accountant, or doctor, or teacher, or coach. Missional living is living for Jesus at the gym and at Starbucks and at the dinner table of your neighbor's house. That is missional living. Uh, God is calling each of us, you can take it down, God is calling each of us to be focused on his mission, faithful to his mission, and fruitful in his mission. Now this might be new to some of you, but I want you to know it's biblical. This is what God says in his word. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples on various occasions. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. God used his disciples to bring the gospel across the ocean to Penryn. The gospel wouldn't be here if he didn't call and equip people to come here to bring it to us. We must continue the legacy of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus. One of my favorite preachers is Matt Chandler from the Village Church um, down in Texas, Dallas, Texas, and missional living is actually one of their core values, I I found out. So this is part of what they mean by missional living. Listen to this. The scriptures portray all believers as priests and ministers who are called by God to do the work of of ministry. The role of pastors within a local church is not to assume all ministerial duties, but to rather equip the saints so that they themselves may do the work of ministry. That's flat out biblical. It's right out of the text, almost. Now, is it understood here that Jonathan Shirk is not the ministry of Jerusalem Church? I'm not that important. I'm one part of it. If the predominant view of our church is that the pastor is the ministry, I will probably burn out, maybe within the next few years, and our beloved church will probably die. Or the next guy will come in, he will burn out, And then the next guy will burn out, and and somewhere along the line, it's going to lose some vibrancy. But if we are a team working together to grow the church, if we all use our gifts to our greatest ability and skill, we will be healthy and we will grow. Maybe we'll grow rapidly. We are the ministers, the last core value. Jerusalem Church values encouraging teamwork. Did you know that the Mannheim Auto Auction 
is called the best and largest auto auction in the world. Did you know that? How many of you would have said, yeah, I knew that? All right, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Our very own Bruce Becker works there. So he knows how big and how busy it is. Someone else does? Who does? All right. So we've got two. I'm sorry. Never making the connection somewhere. I missed that. Sorry. No, no offense, hopefully. Close to a half a million cars go through every year. That's impressive. That's what the video said. So that's my source. That's a lot of business to me. Now imagine if every employee at the auction was an auctioneer. One dollar bid now, two now, two. Would you give me two dollar bid now, two now, two. Would you give me two? Two dollar bid now, three now, three. Would you give me three dollar bid now, three now, three. Three dollar bid now, four now, four. Would you give me four dollar bid now, four now, four. Five dollar bid now, five now, five. Would you give me five dollar bid now? Would you give me five dollar bid now? Would you give me five dollar bid now? Would you give me five? Thank you, thank you. I worked really hard on that. Let's not lose the point. (laughs) If everybody was an auctioneer, you lose business. It would flat out fail. You can't run it like that. The lack of diverse teamwork would kill it. Organizations grow where diverse skills are aligned and maximized toward one common goal and strategy. This is the biblical principle, Romans 12, 14 through 6. I'm sorry, four through six. For as one body, we are many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. One body, many members. Each member is different. Each has different gifts. Each plays a different role. Each member is needed and each member contributes. Verse 6 says our gifts differ according to the grace given to us. Look, naturally some gifts that are given yield greater rewards or returns on that. There's just a greater harvest for some gifts and God raises up people to do that. But everybody has their place, whether it's a small yield or a big yield, and we should all use our gifts together As a diverse team, as we serve Jesus together, we should encourage one another. Paul wrote, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The Greek word that Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 is parakalete, meaning to comfort or to exhort or admonish urgently. So not only do we comfort each other, but we also challenge each other to be better, to push forward to build up one another, which means to strengthen each other to do what is right. So each one of us has the role, the assignment from God, to build each other up, to strengthen each other so that we can honor God here. Uh, Hebrews ten twenty four through 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God intends for you to inspire and encourage each other to love and good works. I want you to really think about this question. Please think deeply about this question. Are you giving your best to the team? Are you giving your best to the team? Or are other people having to work harder just to carry the load you should be carrying? 
Please think about that. Because when you're a part of us here, you're a part of a team. And if you're disengaging, just showing up on Sundays, there's so much that you're missing, and we're missing out. And, and, and some people, you know the, the 20-80 rule, the 80-20 or whatever? You know 20% of people do the 80% of the work? And in a lot of cases, that is so true in the church. Not big churches, medium churches, small churches. So I'm just wondering if you know the impact of when you're not pulling your weight, that other people are having to pull that weight. What if we all maximize 100% together with our gifts? Oh, what we could accomplish for the glory of God. Teamwork is a team doing the work. In a tug of war, 10 on 10, if four teammates just stop pulling all together, they're holding on to the rope, but they're, but they're not pulling, what happens to the other six? They have to pull so much harder and they might even pull something, if you know what I'm, where I'm going with that. What happens to the team? They aren't at their best. We must do what it takes to help everyone, help each other, maximize our, our efforts and our gifts. That's what a team does. And we love each other while we do it. So what I'm saying, in conclusion here, what these core values are intended to do is to help us clarify and focus on what is most important here at Jerusalem Church in order to accomplish God's vision for us, to lead people to find their greatest joy and pleasure in Jesus Christ above all things to the glory and worship of God. So our core values, again, take a look, biblical truth, passionate worship, focused prayer, sovereign grace, leadership development, nurturing family, simple excellence, humble transparency, missional living, and encouraging teamwork. I hope that you can hear these things and say, you know what? Those things are really, really important to me. To me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you do a work in Jerusalem Church. Help us to value what you value. And I think that our list of 10 things here, it it doesn't say it all. It's not a complete list, God, but it's a good list. And it's a biblical list. And so I pray that, that our church can value what we need to value to accomplish the mission that you have for us. We are a different church than we were a little bit ago. You are calling us to new things, to more effectiveness, to more faithfulness and fruitfulness, and even more focus on what is important. So God, all of these values, I pray that they are fresh in our minds. It will, they will come up in preaching, they will come up in classes, they will come up in discussions and at meetings, and so help us just to stay razor sharp in our focus so that we can accomplish what you want us to Do this work by the power of your Holy Spirit in each individual person here. And I pray that if there's someone this morning that does not know Jesus Christ, that they will hear about this loving family and they will see how we love each other and say in the deepest part of their heart, I want to be part of that. I feel kind of out because I I don't know Jesus. I don't have what they have. I pray, God, that you convict them to run to the cross to enjoy you, the Holy Father, because of Jesus Christ and what he has done. So I pray that you give someone the gift of repentance this morning, the gift of faith this morning, to draw them into your family, to adopt them into a family that loves them so that they can have a father that loves them. 
Help us to work together, God, to accomplish this. Um, Be in our midst, God. In Christ's name we pray, amen.